Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Y'all doing well? So good to be here. For those of you I have not met, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. And uh, we've been gone for a couple weeks. Wonderful trip. Uh, you know, there's something about going and seeing biblical places. We were following the footsteps of Paul in Greece that uh, just kind of helps make the Bible come alive. And that was really cool. Uh, you know, the only bad thing, you know, you come home and you bring jet lag with you. So, uh, you know, we we're about 10 hours off for two weeks. And um, so, but, uh, you know, if you all been here about four o'clock this morning, I could have preached quite the sermon. I was, I was up and wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. Hey, I've got two real quick announcements. Um, the first is that many of you know that we are part of a fellowship of churches. We're not a denomination. Uh, we, we're just a fellowship of like-minded churches. And if you go back in our history, I mean, literally, we're alive today because of a sister church that came along and helped us nearly 30 years ago. And so something that's been very important to us to now be in that place is God is blessed to come along and to hopefully encourage others. So for the last 11 years, I guess this summer, I have actually served as our executive regional director. Uh, we do a lot of coaching and encouragement. And once a year, we have a get-together of leadership. We call it our leadership retreat. So pastors, staff, uh, deacon boards, elder boards, we invite them to come with their families. We have typically have done it at resorts or done it up at our camp in Prescott. We're actually trying something new. We're going to use the wigwam as the place where we're going to let them stay, but we're going to hold the meetings actually here at Desert Springs. And I need some help. We, it's July 17th through the 19th. It's Monday night. Tuesday morning, then Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, we're going to feed them meals. We're going to love on them as best we can. I know Trevor's going to take like the middle school students and take them, you know, to some of the real fun things around here and, and uh, just really try to love on them well. I mean, these are folks that are serving the Lord. A lot of them in a very difficult spots, uh, hard points of ministry, and we just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so during the different sessions that we have here, here, we want to be able to uh, provide for their kids so they don't have to come in with the adults, but a great time, fun, but also hearing, uh, you know, the stories of Jesus and all of that. And uh, we, we've got leadership all in place. I just need some help. And, and here's the thing. This is the first time we're trying this. Uh, next year, I think we're doing it down in Tucson with another church and I really want to set the bar really high. So I just need some help. So if you'd be willing to help us once or a couple of times during that, uh, those three days, if you go to events.dscchurch.com, it's the Venture Church Network, um, sign up and we'll get people get a hold of you. But I just, again, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to love and minister and would certainly appreciate your help. Secondly, this morning, we are finishing up this second section of the book of Revelation. I know, all the way through two sections. It's only three chapters, but it's the first two sections, right? You go back to chapter 1, verse 19, the outline of the book, write the things you have seen, that's chapter 1. 
things which are that's chapters two and three that's the churches that's what we're finishing this morning and then the third section is the big section and it is the things that are to come hereafter one of the things that we typically do as you can even see this morning you know summer's hit people are traveling usually in the summer we I usually ended about may we just kind of had to extend this a little bit we stop doing our normal series, pick it back up in September, and do a summer series. So we're going to wrap up Revelation now. We'll get back to it in September. But I'm really excited about our summer series. We are going to do uh, the book of Jonah, and we've entitled it The Pursuit of Us. And I love that title because what you have is God pursuing both two things, people that are very far away from him, which are the people of Nineveh. But you also have God pursuing his own prophet who is not in a really good place uh, at different times in this whole story. So we're going to start that next week, so we encourage you to bring your Bibles and be a part of that. But this morning, we're finishing up Revelation chapter 3. We're in, uh, looking at the church at Laodicea, verses 14 to 22. And as I read out loud, if you'll follow along in your Bible, that would be great. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. So as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, as we've looked at these seven churches, what we've seen is there is a pattern to these letters. The first part is, is that he identifies the church that he's going to talk to. This is the church of Laodicea. What we know about Laodicea here in that first century is that the city of Laodicea was very rich. It was very prosperous. It was really the main city of a tri-city. Uh, there was Heropolis, which was six miles to the north. Heropolis was known for its hot springs, uh, minerals. In fact, we'll, we'll see some pictures in a bit. It's all kind of white. You know, if you've ever been to like Yellowstone where it comes up in the minerals, and it's almost like white like snow. It's about 10 miles to the, then to the east. So, so Heropolis north. To the east, about 10 miles, closer to the mountains, was Colossae. 
the book of Colossians is written to it and uh, that was a place where um, you know a lot of manufacturing thing going on but Laodicean of these three was the rich place this was where the banking was done this is where the gold reserves were kept one of the things that we know is that it's a land where there's a lot of earthquakes in early AD 60 so about 35, 40 years before this, there was a major earthquake. Rome showed up and gave a lot of public assistance, a lot of money to help these cities rebuild. The city of Laodicea didn't take the money. They didn't need it. So it kind of gives you a sense of their wealth. Uh, here's a few pictures. This would have been the Agora, which is the main shopping way. And you can see where the, the, the roads, the marble that was there, one of the interesting things about Laodicea, it lays in a valley, but it was built up on a hill at the, at the end of that valley. And so you can kind of see it's a pretty magnificent sized city uh, that was there. This is one of the temples that was built there. Again, huge, beautiful, lots of wealth going on. It's a city that actually had two uh, different uh, amphitheaters. Uh, this is the smaller of the two. Most likely it was probably the one that was for concerts and those type of things. Um, but again, just a huge city, beautiful location, uh, which that side of Turkey is. It's a very beautiful place. Again, some of just the marble that is still there and a part of it. This is the larger of the two uh, amphitheaters. And you can kind of get the size and the scope. And one of the things we were reminded of as we travel to Greece, these amphitheaters were, is where the city would gather to often make decisions and, and have the, the time of hearing the political debates. And you could often tell the size of the city because of the size of, of the amphitheater because it wasn't built for everyone. It was just built for the men who would be like age 18 and over because they were the only ones in that culture that had a voice. And so you begin to multiply by six, seven, tenfold, and it would give you the size of, of the city. So it was, it was pretty big. The, the city was known for a few things. One of the things it was most known for in the ancient days is this soft black wool. Uh, we don't know if it was just something in the... Uh, the the grass around it that the sheep ate or if it was specifically how they dyed it we don't know but this wool this black wool was so soft it was sought after all around the the entire ancient world they also had a couple temples to uh, gods of medicine and one of the medicines that they created there was this this it was a powder, but it would grind up and put it into salve, and it would heal eye diseases. It would actually even work on ears. And again, it was something that they were really well known for, and you kind of picked some of that up uh, here in the text. The one Achilles heel that the city had was the issue of water. Because it was in a valley, but yet up on a hill, it had water issues. And so what they ended up having to do was create aqueducts to bring the water in. And so even though they could engineer it and get the water theirs, we'll see it, it, it had some problems with quality. But the biggest problem is 
in that part of the world, if an enemy is coming to attack you and all your water in the city gets to you by aqueducts, it's really easy for them just to go stop that up. All of a sudden, you're out of water and you're in big trouble. So it's one of the shortcomings of the city. The other thing that we know about the church of Laodicea from what Jesus writes here, but also if you remember when we studied Colossae, or the book of Colossians, uh, the, the town that was 10 miles here to the east, that book was all about one of the heresies that was going on, the, uh, the idea that Jesus was good to a point, but to really know spiritual knowledge and to really attain, you needed more than Jesus. And the book of Colossae was, or the Colossians was written to the church of Colossae, but also you remember at the end, Paul said, make sure this Laodicea, the issue that they had was with the idea of Christology, that Jesus is all you need. He's not just a starting point. He's just not good enough to get you to a certain place, but he is all all you need and you kind of pick it up here as we now move to the second part which is the speaker he says the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god now by the amen is the idea is, is that jesus is the sure one amen means so be it the Greek word is often translated in the old King James as verily, like verily, verily, right? So be it. This is true. That's this word. Amen. Uh, in more tr modern translations, it's usually translated uh, truly, truly, right? This is true. Jesus is the true one. He is the sure one. He is the amen. He is the one who is bringing God's truth and revelation, and it is true. The second expression he uses is that he is the faithful and true witness. And as we've looked at these letters, so often when Jesus identifies himself, he looks back to chapter 1, where you have this detailed description of Christ and his glory and that's the case here you go back to chapter 1 verse 5 it says from Jesus Christ the faithful witness so as Jesus calls himself the faithful and true one he's going back to chapter 1 he's the one who is bringing the truth he is the one who is giving a a faithful legitimate evaluation of these churches but what's interesting is this actually even looks ahead so chapter 19 is the literal coming, second coming of Christ. And you go to chapter 19, verse 11, and it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. He is the great A. Uh, amen. He is the one who is truth. He is the faithful and true witness. And then it says this, he is the beginning of the creation. The beginning of the creation of God. What does that mean? Well, this goes to that Christology issue. Jesus isn't just a part of creation. He was not one who created, but he was the source of creation. You go back to that beautiful passage in Colossians 1 that we think was a hymn or a poem that talked about the supreme of Christ and it talks about from him 
everything came. That he's not only the source in being able to create it, but he is the source of the creative power, the creative energy that put the worlds into, into being. Remember how John actually put this back in his book. He says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is the source of creation. He's all you need. You don't need Jesus plus. You just need Jesus. He's our source. He's our power. That's who the writer is. And now, of course, the next step in these letters is the commendation. The good news. I know your works. And I know how you can try those who say they are apostles and are not, and you find them to be liars. And I know your perseverance, right? This is kind of, he gives them the, the little bit of the honey before the, the vinegar shows up and the problem. Did you notice the commendation here? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. There is no commendation here. There is no good news. This church literally is the worst of the lot. There's nothing positive that he's got to say. He just jumps right ahead to the condemnation. And the condemnation is this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, folks... I know we're in church, but there's nothing eloquent about that. I mean, Jesus basically says, you make me throw up. Regurgitate whatever word you want to use here. What's going on? I think what's going on is the church is in this perpetual state of apathy. Because one of the things we have to struggle with and, and in each of the books, there's something that, that's hard to understand. And in this book, he says, I word that you were cold or hot, but you're not and you're lukewarm. What does he mean by cold? What does he mean by hot? Now, the way we typically today would read this, here especially in America, in our culture, we would read it as he's contrasting, right? Cold or hot, right? Because those are the two, two opposite ends of things. And it would be the idea, you know, we talk about, I mean, we just sang, set a fire down in my soul, right? You know, we want to be hot for Jesus, right? Be, on fire for him. That's kind of the terminology that we use. And so for us, we kind of think, well, he's contrasting that with those that are cold. Maybe the cold are those who are far from God or maybe even rebellious and the lukewarm ones or maybe the ones who, who know Jesus but aren't walking with them. And so we see it as kind of this scale that is there. And he says, I worry that you were cold or hot. Now, the problem is, if you think about it, though, you, you've got some issues with that. I mean, first of all, um, well, in fact, let me, let me, before I go there, let me take you to Romans 12. He says this, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. That's the same Greek word, fervent, that is, that is translated here, hot. So, what's he saying? 
And if, cold, if hot is you know, on fire for Jesus and cold is being far from him, then, then how does that work in, in a church? How, how do you have people that are cold, that are at, maybe even in rebellion? Because theologically, when, when the Bible, when the Bible writers talk to the, about the church, they're talking about baptized believers. Uh, you also have the issue with his prescription that we're going to get to in, in verse 18 he says I advise you to buy from me gold refined by, from, by fire so that you may become rich so if the cold are, are those who don't know Jesus and his prescription is to buy from me the salvation cost it, it, it just doesn't seem to work and, and, and so you know to be honest with you this is you know what does he mean? Ah, as I told you, one of the cool things is, is sometimes you get to travel and you get to see. And back in 2016, I had the chance um, to actually go visit the seven churches that are, that are in Asia. And you get there and all of a sudden you go, huh? you know, you have one of those moments. So six miles to the north is Heropolis. This is a picture of Heropolis, if I can get it to switch there. Uh, it's, that's the, the white minerals that are there. I mean, it, it looks like snow. It's not. It's, it's like if you, again, go up to Yellowstone or something like that. These are the warm pools. Th these ones are not hot, so hot that you can't get in. In fact, I had to wait for people to get out of the way. But they're, they're warm. There are some that are so hot you can't get in. But these are the hot springs of Heropolis. Well, you stand on the hill where Laodicea is, and you look... Six miles to the north, there's Heropolis. Now, what do we know about Laodicea? They got money. You got money, you can make things happen. We can have hot water. All we got to do is get it from there to here, right? Six miles. So they built aqueducts. A lot of their aqueducts were actually tile, uh, clay tile, and they would put it into the... Um, into the ground and they brought the water hot water from Heropolis to Laodicea then if you turn and look to the north if you're there at Laodicea you see the mountains 10 miles that way is Colossae that's where there's lots of fresh water cold water refreshing water you know hot water's good you take a bath not so good to drink though cold water is refreshing it's good and so they built the aqueducts and they brought it to them hot and cold running water pretty ingenious eh except there was a problem for hot water to remain hot it takes energy doesn't it i mean have you ever walked out I've got the, the old hot water tank in my garage. And I, you walk out one of these days when it's 110 in your garage. And yet you walk by your hot water tank, you hear that gas come on. <clears throat> and you're thinking, what's going on, right? It takes energy to keep it hot. Got cold water coming 10 miles in clay pots or clay, clay tiles that are in the ground. By the time it gets there, it's not cold anymore. You know why? It takes energy. I mean, 
let's face it, none of us are taking a cold shower for another how many months, right? Because none of us, I don't think, have decided to pay the money for the energy to actually keep it cold by the time it gets to our shower. That's what they ran into. The water's coming six miles, it's coming 10 miles in these clay um, uh, tube systems. And by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. It's not cold, it's not hot. And if you've ever had like really minerally water and it gets stale, it begins to smell, doesn't taste very good. Cold water, the same thing. It picks up the, the, uh, some of the sediment from the clay tiles. Made people sick. That was the issue they had. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's not that hot's good and cold's bad. It's just, listen, hot does its thing and it's good and cold does its thing and it's good. And I word that you were cold or you're hot. The problem is you're apathetic. There's no energy here. You're just going through the motions. You had this form of godliness, but there's, there's nothing that's happening. And you make me sick. I've put you on mission. And then you even pick it up a little bit more here in, in verse 17. He says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church had become self-reliant. They had money. They could buy things. They could do things. They, could, they, they didn't need Jesus. They could just go through the motions. There's no energy. There's apathy. And Jesus says, you make me sick. Folks, one of the things that uh, I think every church struggles with, especially here in America, is this issue of reliance on Jesus. I've often said the hardest time for a church to walk with the Lord is when everything's going good. When you look and you're almost done with your physical year, fiscal year, and you're $6,000 a week over budget and giving. You send 60 missionaries a year around the world. Man, we're building, we're doing things. We can do it. I remember those early days when there were 55 of us in this small little building and half a million dollars of debt, and we didn't know if we were going to make it from one month to another. That'll keep you on your knees. That'll keep you dependent. That'll keep you reliant on Jesus. And what happens is almost every church that is ever planted is planted in faith because it's hard to plant a church. And it starts with a vision and what I'm calling you to do and you, you walk into it. But as God blesses and it grows, sometimes it's so easy just to become dependent upon, hey, we can do this, we can get it done. And self-reliance is the antithesis of following Jesus. Can I say that again? Self-reliance is the antithesis of following Jesus. 
following Jesus is all about relying upon him, leaning into him, knowing his power. Very seldom, very seldom does the Lord ask us to do the things that we're adequate to do. He almost always calls us to things that are greater than we are because he wants us to be dependent upon him. Oh, I were that you were cold or hot. I work with churches in our association. I study this stuff, right? Churches have, have this bell curve, just like every other organization. Man, they start out afresh. Man, they're relying upon the Lord. They're stepping out in faith. They're, they're living, but God, you know, as a church blesses and they grow and and all of a sudden they get to that point where they're, you know, man, they're having great days and they're seeing good things and there's growth going on. But pretty soon, and ministries that come along, but pretty soon God now gives them another task and God gives them another challenge. But it's so easy for them to step back. The world around them changes, but they don't like to change. Are we going to change to reach the community, which is why we originally planted, or are we going to just kind of pull in and it's going to become about us? And that's what happens. It becomes about us. It becomes about our comfort. It becomes about our, you know, the things that we like. And the world around us is changing and we're not reaching them. We're not seeing them come to faith in Christ. But we got this little holy huddle going on and we think that we're doing the Lord's work. And God says, I were that you were hot or that you were cold, but you're lukewarm and you make me sick. And I've sat at those tables with, with churches and I've talked about their history in great days. And yet they're down to a few handful of people, and yet there's people all around their church, but they don't want to change to reach the community, to live on mission, to do what it takes. They're just too comfortable. And though they may not say it directly, what they're saying is we would rather die than to change. This is all about me. That is Laodicean lukewarmness. And folk, that can happen in each of our lives. We've walked with Jesus. We've walked in faith. God is blessed. But we get to that point where God asks us for that next step, that next point of faith. But we go, you know what? I'm really comfortable. I like the way I'm just, we go through the motions. You know, we go to church. We do this thing. We, we tick the boxes. That's never what God calls us to. He calls us to intimate relationship with him. And so my question to me today, my question to you today, my question to us as a church today is are we settling for the comfortable are we settling for what we can control what we like or are we stepping into the risk to doing things different the things that maybe we wouldn't even like personally but we are here on mission this world is not our home so he gives the command. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself with the shame of your nakedness and it will not be revealed. The eyes salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, which by the way is exactly what he's doing to this church. Therefore, be zealous and repent 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus' command is simply this. You need to lean into me. I'm all you need. You don't need without wealth. You don't need the things that you think are so important that got you there. What you need is me. And what you need to do is you need to come to me and you need to buy precious gold, right? Not the physical gold. It is the gold of of spiritual wealth. You need from me that which is truly valuable. And I couldn't help but think of what Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says, so the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold, which is perishable. But man, it's hard. It's hard to get faith. Right? Because faith means that to grow our faith, most, for most of us, it means we've got to be challenged. It means we've got to walk through those seasons where it looks like we stepped out and God didn't show up. And that's hard. And it's not pleasant. And I can tell you that in personal experience because I'm experiencing that in my own life today. It's not easy. I don't like to be there. I like to be where it's comfortable. But you need to buy from me gold, which is true wealth. Spiritual gold. You need to come to me and living that mission so that you are clothed with these good deeds, right? Not just going through the motions, not just showing up on Sunday. I I think... I think there are many things that shout at the um, the failure of the American church and the American church, so many of us living in this Laodicean thing. And, and obviously it's churches that don't see people coming to Christ, don't see people being baptized. Um, but I think another thing is, is that when you look across churches, how many of them of those that serve, it's like 20%, 30% of the church body, and 60, 70% of the church body just shows up to consume a service. That's Laodicean lukewarmness. We're told in Revelation 19 that we come back clothed in white, which are the righteous deeds of the saints. Folks, we're not home. Right? This world is not our home. This isn't about our comfort. This isn't about us being happy. This isn't about we live for another day. And that's what we're called to live for. Buy from me clothes so you can clothe. Your nakedness will be hid. The next thing he mentions is this eye salve, right? He, he takes it again back into the culture so that you can see because you don't see this right. You see yourself as rich and priests of good. You have need of nothing and you don't know that you are wretched and poor and miserable, blind and naked. And I talk to these churches that are heading towards death and it's just like, well, we're, we're, we're good, right? If we just got the right pastor, we just got this, or we just got this old program back, it'll all be fixed. And you're going, no, there's something wrong in your heart. But they can't see. They can't see. Ultimately, what they need is intimate relationship with Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, will dine with him, and he with me. You know, we often use this verse in explaining the gospel. And I don't think, because I do think it's quite an interesting picture of Jesus coming to someone who doesn't know him, and I don't think we do huge damage to the word of God, but I don't think that's actually the context. I don't think he's talking to unsaved people here. I think he's talking to Christians. And it's the invitation to all of us to come and be reliant upon Jesus every day. Spend time with him every day. The invitation to live on his mission every day. And ultimately, they need to be zealous and repent. I got, I got to be done. Here's the, here's the promise now. Verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What, what an interesting picture. What did it mean Jesus overcame? Jesus overcame because he came and he did the father's will. He lived his life by faith, which actually took him to the cross. His life was not a picnic. His life was not about his comfort. His life was not about what he wanted. His life was doing the will of the Father. And yet he overcame. He now has seated at the right hand of the Father. What a reminder to us. We got to live on mission. We can't live this life in apathy. We're here on mission following Jesus. And yes, that sometimes means it's tough. And it sometimes calls us out in the places that we don't really want to go. But we do it knowing that there's that future day. Ah, when we will get to rule and reign with Jesus. Laodicean lukewarmness. I word that you were hot or that you were cold. They're both good. But it takes energy. It takes passion. It takes commitment. But you're not hot or cold. You're lukewarm. And Jesus said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It's quite the sobering reminder to all of us that he's called us to follow him with our 